You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Amen. Good morning, Summit family. I am Scott Pace, and I have the privilege of being here with you today. It's a joy to be with you. I've been praying for your pastor, for your church family during this season, and I'm grateful uh, that we have a chance to worship again. I actually was here a few years ago. I know some uh, members of your church, and I was here a few years ago, so it's good to be to be back. Uh, I came from Wake Forest. We live there in Wake Forest, just outside of Raleigh, uh, where I teach at Southeastern Seminary and the dean of the college there. Uh, my wife and I, I brought, we have four children. I brought uh, our third in line. She's the second of three daughters. We have a, a, a boy kind of sprinkled in there. And so uh, I'm, I'm not alone this morning. So we're grateful to be with you. Uh, I'm grateful for this passage that we're going to look at this morning and how God has used it in my life over the last several months and look forward to sharing it with you so that maybe God would use it uh, in a similar way uh, in your life this morning. So if you have your Bibles and you want to go ahead and turn there, as you're turning there, I want you to to think with me about an everyday kind of common scenario that you could imagine. This probably happened to all of us. Maybe it happened uh, to you this week. Have you ever been in the middle of something and then realized that you were missing something that you actually needed to complete the task? So imagine a household project that you've been working on and you get to where you're kind of ready to wrap the project up and you realize, uh, I needed this one thing. Now I've got to run back to the hardware store or whatever to get it, and you just couldn't finish the task without that one piece. Or maybe you've been cooking a, a meal or uh, an entree or something, and you realize that you don't have an ingredient that you need. Either you didn't know you were going to need that ingredient, or you thought you already had it in the cabinet or the pantry, and you get to that point in the preparation of the meal, and you realize, I need this. I don't have this. Or maybe it's been something uh, a little bit more basic, like, hey, you're traveling somewhere, and you get ready uh, to, to go wherever you're, you're at. And, uh, you realize I, I, I forgot socks or I forgot my belt, or, you know, I forgot the very piece of clothing that is most significant for the occasion that I'm traveling for. You know, we all know what it's like to be there. So we can be in the condition ourselves to, to not have that happen, right? We tell ourselves, I know I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to be intentional and ask myself a question, something like, Hey, wait a minute before I leave, what am I forgetting? Right. And so you can ask yourself that question, but we all know, even in asking that question, you find yourself 10 minutes down the road and what you needed is on the counter. Right. Like you, you forget anybody with me. You, you, you just realize I don't have everything I need to try to do what I'm doing. And in life, those moments can be frustrating. Right. But as we live for the Lord, kind of as we look at our life, live for God, we also sometimes may feel like we don't have everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Oftentimes in our life, while those moments that we discuss kind of are trivial and can be frustrating, these moments become more serious. They can even be discouraging. They can lead us to, to anxiety or even maybe despair. Right? I mean, think about it. You've got an important decision to make, but you don't have the wisdom you need to know what you should do. Maybe it's not a decision that you're trying to make. Maybe, maybe you're trying to uh, kind of... Um, you're dealing with some overwhelming circumstances and you realize I don't have 
the inner strength I need to make it through this season. Maybe you're, you're, you're kind of just worn out. You're exhausted. Life has been so hard, and, and now you don't have the physical stamina you need to make it through the end. Maybe it's something a little bit more, you know, temporal. You, you have some unexpected expenses come up, and you, you realize, I, I don't have the financial means to, to make things work right now. When you, when you look at these types of things, when you think of the future, but you don't know what's next, you don't have everything you need to accomplish what God's asking you to do. But then we can ask ourselves that same question. Wait a minute, wait a minute, what am I forgetting? That when it comes to God's plan, he gives us a promise, an assurance that he will, in fact, give us everything we need in order to accomplish his will. In other words, think of it like this. God says, look, I'm the one who made the list, and I didn't leave anything off of it. I'm the one who has the project in mind, and I'm going to work to accomplish it. You're not going to have to go somewhere else to get what I provide. I'll never run out of what you need, and it'll never be late. You're never going to be waiting two days. You thought it was going to be on your doorstep, and you're two days later past when you needed the deadline you needed it by. He says, it'll never be late. In other words, it's my project. It's my list. It's my resources. It's my timing. I've got you covered. Now, for some of you, that may be a sigh of relief. Whew. I'm glad I needed to be reminded of that. I'm glad I needed it. But for others, maybe you hear that and you say, I want to believe that, but I'm just not so sure. How can I know with certainty? Well, that's this passage in Hebrews chapter 13 that we read a few moments ago. This concluding prayer, this benediction to, uh, in Hebrews, it actually provides for us the assurance of, yes, you can believe this. You can trust that God will equip you with everything you need to do his will. But it raises some questions for us that this passage is going to answer. Right? How does God equip us with everything we need? What does God equip us with, and why does he equip us this way? In other words, what is he equipping us for, right? How does he equip us to do his will? What does he equip us with to do his will? And why is he equipping us, or for what purpose is he equipping us to do his will? So if you found your place there in Hebrews chapter 13, let's read the verses again with this understanding in mind of what this prayer actually provides for you and for me. Start in verse 20, follow along again and hear the word of God. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray again. Father, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would arrest our attention, that you would open our hearts, and that you would speak by your spirit through your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. Then when you first read this passage, it can be a little bit confusing. There's a lot of supporting phrases and clauses, and you're kind of like, man, how do I untangle this? Let me just kind of simplify the main gist of the prayer, and then we'll unpack how it explains that portion, right? So he says, may the God of peace equip you with everything good so that you can do his will. 
That's a very simple but profound prayer that you can adopt today. God, as the God of peace, would you equip me with everything good that I may do your will? But what assurances does it provide and how do we apply it to our lives? Three ways God equips us to do his will that we see in this passage. The first way I want you to see is this. First, God spiritually equips us to do his will. God spiritually equips us to do his will. Now, it shouldn't surprise you or me, right, that it all begins with our spiritual position and condition. It's all about our relationship with God, and spiritually, do we have what we need in order to accomplish his will? Well, he starts his prayer by explaining to us that God has provided everything spiritually we need to position us and condition us to be used by him. You see, if you're going to be used by God and you're going to fulfill God's will for your life, no matter what age or stage of life you're in, you have to recognize that you first and foremost have to be a part of his family. But you can't buy your way into his family. You can't earn your way into his family. No, no, you have to be adopted into his family. In other words, it's not based on what you can do for God, but what he's already done for you. So what has he done already to spiritually equip us for his will? Well, the first thing the Bible says he's done is that God has reconciled us. God has reconciled us. To reconcile us is to mend what is broken. The relationship that we are born into with God is one of hostility, right? That we are born sinners hostile towards God and there's hostility, God's wrath is directed towards our sinfulness, but God has done what is necessary to reconcile or mend that relationship. Notice how he petitions God and how he addresses him. Now, may the, watch this, may the God of peace, you see it there? There's the reconciliation. God has taken what was broken, what had hostility in between an enmity separating us, and he has brought us into a relationship with him through what he has done in Jesus on the cross. So for instance, the Bible tells us in Romans 5 that we have been justified by faith and now we have peace with God. In Colossians 1.20, it tells us how he has made this peace. It says that he made peace through the blood of Jesus' cross. He's made peace. He's satisfied the brokenness of our relationship. And therefore, in 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 19, it says that he has reconciled in Christ all things. He's reconciled us. He's brought you into right relationship with him or done what is necessary to do so. But God hasn't just reconciled us. The Bible tells us that he's also rescued us. He's rescued us. Look at what he says. He addresses God as the God of peace, who did what? Brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus. He raised Jesus up. So we know that Jesus died to reconcile the relationship and that he was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered the penalty and the power and the punishment of sin, that which is death. And he conquered it by being raised from the dead. Well, our sinfulness had a determined destiny. It was hell, eternal separation from God. And God rescued us from that through punishing Jesus as our substitute and as our Savior. God has rescued us from this. So the Bible describes it this way in Colossians chapter 1. It says that God has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has rescued us and transferred us. He is the one who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus. And just like he gave him life, 
he gives us that same life by rescuing us. You see, if his death reconciles us, his resurrection rescues us. But this is not all God's done for us. God's done even more. He hasn't just uh, reconciled us and rescued us. He has redeemed us. He has purchased us. He has placed value on you and uh, communicated that value through that which was most precious to him, his one and only son. So now read again and unpack the God who reconciles us. He's the God of peace is the God who rescues us. He brought again from the dead, the Lord Jesus, the, the great shepherd of the sheep through what? The blood of the eternal covenant. See that phrase there? The blood of the eternal covenant. This is how he's accomplished it. It's through the payment that was made. He's redeemed us, meaning he's, he's ransomed us. And the Bible tells us that we weren't redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver, but with that which cannot perish, the eternal blood of the unblemished Lamb of God. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, this is how we were redeemed with the blood of Jesus. And therefore, in him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to Ephesians 1, 7. Redemption, paid for, purchased through his blood. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God has done all of this just for you. God has spiritually equipped us to do his will. He's done it all. He's reconciled us, he's rescued us, and he has redeemed us. So what does this mean for you and me? If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this has a lot of practical implications as you're pursuing his will. First, to say that Christ has reconciled us means that you've been reconciled. In other words, you have the assurance that God loves you. Now that sounds very children department kind of statement, but this is the essence of scripture. God loves you. You don't have to doubt that love. You don't have to question that love. You can't be separated from that love. No, no. God loves you. He reconciled you. Therefore, he's not living with hostility towards you. He's not holding a grudge. He's not giving you the silent treatment. He's not being passive aggressive. God loves you. He's reconciled you. And whatever distance you feel between God, when you say, God, you call me to do your will, but I just don't feel close to you, it's not a result of God pushing you away. God's arms are still open. It's you drifting away. God loves you. And you can be reminded because he has reconciled you, you have that eternal love cast upon you. And the Bible tells us in, in, in 1 John 3, 1, see what great a love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. And as his children who have his love cast on us, guess what you and I can have? Peace. He's the God of peace. So in the midst of the world's circumstances, Jesus says to us what he said to his disciples in John 14, 27, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Therefore, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You've been reconciled. That means God loves you and you can live with his peace knowing that. But you haven't just been reconciled. If you're in Christ, you've also been rescued, not just from an eternal death, but in your earthly destiny. God has rescued you with a purpose. In other words, God doesn't just love you. God has a plan for you. God wants to use you in this age, in this stage of life. God wants to use you right where you are, and there's nothing that can hinder that. In other words, you're not hindered by your past. You're not hindered by your circumstances. You're not hindered by by any of the things that you hold yourself back with doing, God has freed you from that. 
because he raised Jesus from the dead to give you new life. God loves you and God has a plan for you. And the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, according to Romans 8, 11, now lives in us so that we can do everything that God's called us to do. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He's reconciled you and rescued you, but he's also redeemed you. This means that he not only loves you and has a plan for you, he values you. You matter to God. I know you maybe feel like you're sitting in the, the corner of a room somewhere at the end of a row, mingled a bunch of people around the people that you may or may not know, and you wonder, God, do I really matter? I mean, in a room of, uh, full of this people, you probably think, man, there's, there's probably people in here that do matter to God, but I, I may not be one of them. The Bible says that's not true. You matter to God. You absolutely have value to him, and he's proven it by the fact that he sent Jesus to die for you. He gave up his own son just to purchase you. So when the world tells you that you don't measure up, when the world tells you that you're not valuable, when the world tells you that you don't have significance, say, no, 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 no. I've got my price tag right here, and it's Jesus. Jesus, God paid his own son for me. That means I'm valuable to him. God has spiritually equipped us with everything to do his will. But he hasn't just spiritually equipped us with everything to do his will. Notice what else we see. God has sufficiently equipped us to do his will. God has sufficiently equipped us to do his will. He provides the spiritual foundation in terms of our relationship, our position in him, and our spiritual condition in him. But then he gives us all the tangible things, too, to sufficiently equip us. We've made it through verse 20, right? That the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, he has done these things for us. But now in verse 21, the essence of the prayer is there. Based on what he's already done for us, God, we're now praying that you would do this for us. And this prayer then doubles as a promise, right? So read verse 21 along with me. So may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will. You see, that's a petition. He's praying that. May the God of peace do this, but it's with an assurance that he, in fact, will. When we read a prayer in Scripture, we can know that that prayer is, in fact, answered. So how does he sufficiently equip us to do his will? May he equip us. Now, this word's important, right? The equipping is important. It's the central verb, if you will, in the prayer. To equip was used in a lot of different contexts. Um, for instance, in a military context, this word would have been used to describe uh, a soldier who had everything in his arsenal available to him. There, there, the, the, he wasn't out of ammo. There weren't certain bullets or, or guns that he didn't have or sword or pieces of armor or the plan and the strategy, all those types of things. He had everything he needed to accomplish what his task was, the mission, right? God, he was equipped in a sailor uh, kind of connotation. It described the one who had stocked full the boat. The boat had all the sources, all the resources it needed, all the, the cargo it, it was uh, supposed to carry. It had everything. The sailor had done all. He was fully equipped to, to set sail, right? Well, in our life, as a soldier of the cross and as one who's sailing on God's mission, God has equipped us. We are fully supplied. He equips us with what? Everything good to do his will. Equips us with everything good to do his will. He said, well, what exactly does God equip me with? Well, there's some foundational pieces that we can look at. And we can say, I know for certain these are things that God has equipped us with to do his will. Just a few of them to kind of start the, the mental ball rolling, if you will. 
Okay? One thing God has equipped us with is he gives us his spirit to lead us. This is probably the most indispensable thing God gives us, his very presence dwelling within us, and yet it's probably the most overlooked aspect of what God gives us. He gives us his very presence. When Jesus returned to heaven, he said, I'm going to send the spirit. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another helper, a helper just like me. My spirit will come to dwell in you. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the very presence of God comes to dwell in your heart. And when he does, guess what you get? All the work of the spirit available to you. So he's given his spirit to lead us. So what does the spirit do? He strengthens us and sustains us. He comforts us and conforms us. He guards us and he guides us. God's given us his spirit to lead us. That's just one of the good things God's given us. He's not just given us his spirit to lead us. He's also gives us the scriptures to grow us. He gives us the scriptures to grow us. When you look at God's word, you have to recognize that this is a gift from God and it's given for the purpose of equipping us. In fact, probably one of our, you know, kind of anchor verses as to what we would believe about the Bible, that it's the very breath of God and all scripture being God breathed is profitable for teaching and correction and reproof and training in righteousness. Verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3, so that the person of God may be, watch this, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What, through what? The God-breathed scriptures. Why? Because it matures us. It grows us. According to 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes, we're supposed to crave the pure milk of the word so that by it we may grow in respect to our salvation. So he gives us the scriptures to grow us. But he doesn't just give us his spirit to lead us and the scriptures to grow us. He also gives us strength to help us. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for this this morning. He gives us strength to help us. I think of Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16 as Paul's praying for the church there. He says, may God strengthen you in your inner being. God provides strength in our soul, in our heart to sustain us and to, to help us. But he doesn't just do it inwardly. He does it outwardly. You know how he does it outwardly? Through his church, through the people he you know, puts in your life to uplift you, to encourage you, to pray for you, to, to help you. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it says exactly that, that, that the body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ is strengthened by what every joint and ligament, what every piece and person of the body holds together. So by being a part of the body, when we go through those seasons in life, God strengthens us through his people. He strengthens us in our inner being and through his people to help us. He doesn't just give us strength to help us. Let me tell you something else he gives us. This is one that we don't really necessarily pray for, but it's one we need. He gives us situations to train us. He gives us situations. You might even say he gives us struggles. You say, well, God, I don't want those. He said, ah, but you need them. You need them. They serve a purpose. James 1 tells us this, right? That you can consider it pure joy when you fall into various trials, knowing what? That the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now watch this. And perseverance must finish its work so that you become mature and complete, fully equipped that you may do his will. As you may mature and complete what God gives us in these situations. I think of Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about that God 
disciplines those he loves. And it's not always corrective discipline, although sometimes we need that. It's also constructive discipline. All right, that God is training us. And he says that no discipline is pleasant at the time. In fact, it's painful. But for those who are trained by it, for them it produces a peaceful fruit of righteousness. And God gives us situations, sometimes even struggles, to train us. And those who are trained by those struggles, he grows us and equips us to do his will. God also gives us skills to use us. He gives us skills to use us. You may say, you know, I feel inadequate. Like I don't have everything I need. I, I, don't, I don't feel like I, I'm as good a speaker as this person. I don't feel like I'm as uh, a gifted singer like this person. I don't feel like I can teach like that person. I don't have all that. You're looking at the wrong thing. God has given you what he's given you, not what he's given them. And God gives you the skills to use you according to his plan for you. And he promises that he'll give you all things pertaining to life and godliness that you need. Therefore, you can trust him for all these things. Now, listen, this is just the start of the list. There's plenty of other things we're going to need. We're going to need unity so we can work together. We're going to need perseverance so that we can endure. We're going to need things like wisdom to help make decisions. We're going to need God's perspective. God, give me your perspective about the people around me, my spouse, my children, my neighbors, my coworkers. Help me to see them as you see them. Right, give me perspective as to see these situations and, and struggles. We need God's hope. We need God's joy. We need God's peace. We need God for everything. Here's the good news. Matthew 7, 11, you know what it tells us? If you then are sinful, but know how to give good gifts to your children when they ask, how much more will your heavenly Father give all good things, same thing, all good things to those who ask him? And that's where it starts, right? Coming to him to say, God, I need this. May the God of peace equip you with everything good to do his will. So how do you start that prayer? First, you have to admit, God, I don't have everything on my own. You see, we operate really out of a default of self-sufficiency. That somehow I have within me everything that I need. You have to admit that you don't. This is not the spiritual pep talk that says, oh, come on, man, you can do it. No, you can't apart from his help. You need what God provides. And you have to acknowledge, God, I don't have what I need, but you do. You don't just have to admit those things. You have to actually avoid other things. What are you avoiding? Avoiding trying to find those resources or solutions somewhere else. You see, we, we're quick to run to other sources for strength or you know, rescue. God says, I'm actually the only one that can do it for you. I'm the only one that can supply you with what you need. Don't go to those what Scripture calls broken cisterns, right? Those wells that have leaked all the water out. They're empty. I am the only one who gives you the living water so that you'll never thirst again. I'm the one that will allow you to be satisfied in me and provide everything that you need. So you have to acknowledge and admit that you don't have what you need. Only God has it. You have to avoid looking to the other broken places of this world to provide what only God can. And then you simply have to access what he's already given you. You see, we take too much of a passive approach sometimes. Okay, God, I know you've given me your scriptures. But how often do you actually spend time in the scriptures? 
okay, God, you've given me your spirit. How often do you actually listen to and pray in the spirit? He, he, he's given you the privilege of prayer, but how often do you actually access the throne of grace? With confidence, he says in Hebrews 4, that you can approach it so that you receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. He's given us all these things, and these are just some examples of how we passively just expect that the provision of those things will actually make the difference. But no, 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 we have to actively access those things. So if God's going to give us strength through the people around us, then we need to be among the people of God. If God's going to, to give us the, the skills, then we need to be developing our spiritual gifts and actually using them and not sitting on the sideline. If God's going to do those things in us, we have to access what he's already freely given us. We can't be passive. We have to be active. But when we are, we know that God has sufficiently provided everything that we need. But God doesn't just spiritually equip us and sufficiently equip us to do his will. Third and final truth in this passage that we see that God strategically equips us to do his will. God strategically equips us to do his will. In other words, think of it this way. What God provides for you is not random. It's got a purpose in mind. In other words, God's wanting to use you in a particular way to do his will for your life. It's strategic because he sees the big plan and he knows how he wants to use the other people around you, the other members of God's family. He knows how he wants to use them. And if everybody is being faithful to what God has called them to do, we can know that God has a strategy in mind. It's not random. And he tells us this. How does he accomplish his grand purpose for all the kingdom through his will for your life? Look at this last, these last couple of phrases in the scripture, right? May God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. How? And for what purpose? Watch this. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. In other words, the goal of equipping us is to work in us, to change us. In other words, we must be and are changed by his grace. We're changed by his grace. He says that he's going to work in us that which is pleasing in his sight. God wants to make you into everything that he created you and converted you and called you to be. He's got a glorious plan for who you are. He says, I want to work in you that which is pleasing in my sight. But it's not just that we must be changed by his grace, that we become more like Jesus. That even has a higher purpose. In other words, God doesn't just save you and change you just to make you a better person. God changes you and saves you to use you for his mission. In other words, we're changed by his grace so that we can then be commissioned for his glory. We're commissioned for his glory. Do you see that there? He says, so that working in us, that which is pleasing in his sight, what pleases him is his grand plan. In other words, his desire to see the nations come to faith in Jesus. That's what pleases him. And that which pleases him, he describes it there, is through Jesus Christ. It's through what Christ has already done. Through Christ, to whom belongs what? All the glory forever and ever. In other words, how does Christ get the work commissioned for his glory to carry out his mission? This is the part. Let me simplify it this way. He saves you and sanctifies you so that he can send you. 
other words, he works in us so that he can then work through us. He wants to leverage your current vocation and your current location for his mission. God strategically equips us. So what do we need to understand about what God's trying to strategically equip us to do? A couple of things we miss at this point. One, we think too often we're changed more by our grit than by his grace. In other words, we try to to manufacture spiritual change. Oh, we can we can maybe foster behavioral change, but spiritual change is only what he can do. We simply have to position ourselves by the means of his grace to receive that transformation. All right? So we're not changed by our grit, we're changed by his grace. Another place we miss it sometimes here is that we oftentimes we're, we focus on being changed for our glory rather than his glory. I mentioned before, God hasn't saved you simply so that you can become a be- better person or the best version of yourself. God wants to change you for a greater goal. And that greater goal is his mission, his will, his glory among the nations. He wants to use you, not in the neighborhood, to the nations, here and there. How does he do that? Right? So sometimes we miss it because we think we're changed by grit instead of grace. Sometimes we actually want to be changed for our glory instead of his. Another mistake we sometimes make is we try to bypass the first step or just reverse the order of them. In other words, we want to be commissioned without first being changed. We want to skip that part altogether. We want to be used without becoming usable. God says, no, it has to start in here. That's the start in here. That's where we find ourselves this morning, just at a point of prayer. You know, this is, in fact, a prayer. And the author phrases it with a, may the God of peace do this. So here's where we are this morning. You and I have to start by saying, God, may you do this. So where are you today? Maybe you're here today and you would recognize that, God, if you have a plan and a will for my life, I don't know what that is or how to find it. Maybe it's because you've never been adopted into his family. Maybe because you've never trusted Christ to be the one to rescue you, to redeem you, to reconcile you to God. Here's how that begins. You just have to simply acknowledge, God, I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. I clearly fall far short of your perfect standard. And I recognize that that shortcoming deserves punishment. God, instead of punishing me, you punished Jesus instead. I believe that he died and was buried and three days later rose again. And I trust that if I will place my faith in what he's done for me, that you'll forgive me, God adopt me into your family. For some of you today, that may be in fact where you are. For others, maybe you've been adopted in God's family. You've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've lost sight of the reality of what that means. That the fact that you've been reconciled means that he loves you. While you've been feeling distant from God, you don't have to worry about him being that passive-aggressive person that just kind of waits for you to beg your way back to him. He says, "My, my arms of love are extended as they always have been. I've reconciled you. I've rescued you. 
Listen, that means you don't have to be held captive by your, your past. You don't have to be held captive by your sin and shame and guilt. No, no. He's rescued. He's broken those chains. So as a son or daughter, you can be rightly restored in an instant simply by confessing and saying, God, forgive me. Come back to him. He's rescued you. Has done all these things for you, but he's also provided what you need. Maybe you would confess this morning in your own heart, God, I've been looking other places to do what I can't do on my own. You've called me to this, and I've either given up or felt like I, I can't be used, or, or maybe I've tried to make things happen on my own in my life. But I'm recognizing you've provided everything I need. Let me turn to you this morning and trust in what you can provide. God, I'm asking you to work in this situation. Equip me with what I need. Maybe you're here this morning, last thought. You would recognize that you've been living a, a life of comfort. You celebrate all that God's done in your life, but you know you just kind of got into that peace where, place where you say, God, I'm good. Thank you for all you've done for me. But God didn't save you to give you a comfortable life. God saved you to use you. I spoke with an older gentleman after the first service. He said, I needed to hear that because I had grown comfortable. I was just celebrating comfort in my life. And I know God is not done challenging me to do more for him. Is that where you are this morning? Wherever you are, know this. God has spiritually equipped you to do his will. He has sufficiently equipped you to do his will. And he will strategically equip you to do his will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to this point of decision, I pray that as we respond, Lord, that by faith we would trust in what you've done for us, that we would, in fact, look to Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, probably the one who, by his blood, has done all these things for us. God, I pray that you would draw us close to him. Help us look to him. We confess the times in our lives when we don't. And God, I pray that you would call us forward. Lord, to not stay where we are, but to move forward so that we may do your will. Thank you, God, for this sweet prayer. May we adopt it and even embrace it in our own life. May you, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, the Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may you, God, equip us with everything good that we may do your will, working in us, God, that which is pleasing in your sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory forever and ever. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.